Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're going to kill the love of my life. Casey! If I don't go back to what I was doing. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, now playing. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It's the last Sunday in February. It's the 26th, and we got a great month for everybody tonight. Stu Marshall from Death Dealer, Blasted the Static, and his new band Night Legion will be calling in in about 20 minutes or so. Uh, it's way off in the time zone for Australia, so it's early in the morning over there. We'll get Stu on first, and we're going to follow up with David Reese. I spoke to David yesterday. Um, we already did this interview, so it's been pre-recorded. We'll get that on right after the interview with uh, Stu Marshall. whole bunch of new music to play in between, but right there, Crimson Glory. I forgot just how good those guys were. We haven't played them on the show in a very long time. Uh, John, I don't know what he's doing these days. I mean, he's really been out of the music business for a very long time. Uh, it'd be nice to see him get active again with Crimson Glory. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be pretty cool. Uh, this comes off the album Astronomica from, I want to say, uh, 98 or 99, I think the record came out. And that featured Wade Black on vocals. A really good record, very underrated one in their catalog, I believe. All right, we're going to keep the music flowing here for the next 15, 20 minutes until we get to talk to Stu. How about Sanctuary? They have a brand new record out, which is kind of an old record in a way. It's called Inception. Uh, it's really just, a, I mean, there's really nothing new on here as far as I know. It's remastered cuts from the original demo tape, and then I think a couple of cuts that came off the first album. Uh, so let's get on Dream of the Incubus. Sacred sex to you. I 
my friends, this brand new Vatican. Vince Vatican did a great job on this record. So far, it's my favorite album of the year. I know it's only the end of February, but I mean, it's going to be a tough record to beat. He did a great job. March of the Kings is out now on Pure Steel. If you haven't picked it up, go. You know, just got to grab yourself a copy of it. I'm waiting to get the vinyl version. Um, I can't wait for that. I, I really stopped buying a lot of CDs. I mean, I get a lot because of the radio show. And we really use most MP3s because it's, it's an online thing. But I've been buying, like, vinyl, like, new vinyl, like, nonstop. I, I wish there was a place where I can go around here. There's not even, like, flea markets anymore or places where you can just go get vinyl. There's a handful of record stores in the New Jersey area that you can go to. But you're going to pay top dollar for them. There's nothing like bargain hunting and going through bins and a store and get, like, a classic vinyl record for, like, two bucks. <laughs> it just doesn't happen anymore. So I have been spending a lot of money on new vinyl. And it's well worth every penny because to me, nothing sounds better than when that needle hits the wax and the crackling starts and that deep, rich sound takes over the room. So grab yourself Vatican on vinyl, CD, whatever floats your boat. It's a great record, I have to say. All right, let's get on one more tune. We'll uh, check out what's going on in the news this week. And then Stu Marshall should be getting ready to call in right after that. Let's go down to Baltimore, at least down from New York. Tension, shock treatment.
right, that was Silver Mountain with Vikings. There's only a couple of seconds left in the song, but I've got Stu on the line. And he's calling away from Australia, so we can't make the man wait too long. So it's Mike. You're on the air. How are you, buddy? Mike, brother. Well, man, thanks for taking the time to chat. And, uh, yeah, man, all good here. Uh, I'm glad. You know, any anytime you're doing anything musically, I'm happy. But now it's another band. I mean, that the notches on the belt are getting longer and longer. <laughs> Mate, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, well, look, you know, as you're over on the East Coast, um, I'm obviously blessed to be in a band with Ross DeBoss called Death Dealer, which which a few people there know about. Um, but the, uh, the, yeah, the new band, Night Legion, mate, it's Australian. Um, I haven't played a show in Australia in five years, so most of my touring's been overseas. And uh, I really miss playing in my own country, man. So I formed a band with guys I really respect, and uh, they have, um, you know, some good bands on their own. So we came together and uh, formed Night Legion. I, I tell you, the songs I've heard so far sound great. And like I said, you never disappoint. But like each band, I mean... I mean, you're, you have a very distinctive guitar style and a way of playing, so you kind of know who it is when you hear it. But yet each band, from Blast of the Static to Death Dealer to Night Legion, all has something different that they offer. So that must make it interesting for you, because you, you really don't want to repeat yourself with every band you play in. Thanks, mate. Yeah, well, that's that's the whole point, obviously. Um, you know, Death Dealer uh, has a very strong character because of the writing, you know, of Ross the Boss and, and also um, Sean Peck, I think it's very strong as a writer. So that's a real strong collaborative musical effort. You know, you've got Mike Davis who's in Halford and, um, you know, Blast is a Static. It's, it's a little bit more 80s shredding rock, you know what I mean, with uh, Jeff Martin from Racer X. So, yeah, this... This sort of music, the Night Legion stuff, it's just down and down heavy power metal, man, like as you've heard. And uh, we got some, you know, we got a great singer in Bo, Bo Simpson, uh, who um, is in a band called Darker Half, and he's got a real Kate Halford thing happening. So, yeah, I think musically, I hope these, these bands, they stand on their own musically. They're different from each other, and, and it's, uh, it's a great thing to have those outlets for me as a writer. Yeah, and like I said, it must be good that you finally have a band at home that you can play with it out and around, you know, instead of always having to travel. It's not like you just get, jump on a plane an hour later, you're somewhere. You're like, you know, on the other side of the world for most of the bands that you're with. Oh, yeah, man. It's, it's a 20-21-hour 20, flight to, to Europe. It's a 16-hour flight to the States. Um, so, yeah, it's it's real good to have, have these guys. And, um, you know, I, I used to be in a band called Dungeon uh, yep. a whole bunch of years ago, and, and we toured... Um, you know, through Europe, and um, sadly we never got to the States. And, but we had a real good career in Japan, and so this band also features the bass player from Dungeon. So I think um, that's that's kind of cool to be working with Glenn again. He's a great bass player and a good friend. So um, for us, you know, the the Asian market like China and, and Korea and Japan is massive for for that that band was was real successful. So um, our next. You know, we were actually looking at some U.S. states right now. So, yeah, man, it's it's a great feeling to be working with friends again, and, uh, yeah, it feels good. Yeah. Well, I, I remember when you, I first heard about you starting the band. I guess it kind of got off to a bumpy start because I believe you had uh, Shannon singing in the band originally. It was a five-piece. You kind of nettled it down to a four-piece. You got a different singer now. Was it just not working out with the original guys that you wanted in the sound? Yeah, mate. Look, very talented singer, uh, absolutely. And uh, look, sometimes things just don't work out. And during the writing phase, it was real early on. We, we had just launched. Um, it, it just, you know, wasn't working. So um, straight on to, 
you know, working with someone uh, like Vo, who I've got a relationship with over the years. He, he's worked on the Empires of Eden material. Um, he's real successful in his own band. And, um, you know, as soon as I approached him, he was, he was all in. And it, it was just a great fit from, from that moment on. And, uh, you know, we just finished writing the album. Um, you know, we're halfway through finishing the recording phase. And, uh, yeah, so these things happen, man. You know, bands go through lineup changes and, uh, you know, better have it happen early for everybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good situation. Yeah. Like you said, because it happened earlier, that is a good thing in a way. Because I mean, let's face it, most bands, they're either friends that know each other from where they live or they've heard of them, or maybe you've heard of a musician play another group and you want to play with them. But when you get together, sometimes... It's just not there. Something's missing. And, you know, it happens more often than not. People just don't realize it. Yeah, brother. Look, as I've been doing bands now for 25 years. And, uh, you know, in this case, there's no, there's no dirty laundry or scandal at all. Um, things just didn't work out. And, and it was, you know, sometimes that happens, man. You know, um, n- not everything is smooth. You know, in all the bands we love, a lot of these, you know, the bigger bands, they'll travel separately. You know what I mean? Um but in our case, it's really just about finding the right fit, and we've got that right fit now, so it's uh, it's, it's feeling good. That's a good thing. Hey, listen, if you could play in a band with Sean Peck, you could play with anybody. <laughs> I, I love Sean. He's That's on man. the show all the time, so we can talk about him. He's always on my show. <laughs> yeah, Sean's, Sean's my boy, man. We, we're real, real tight as a, as, as a friendship and also, too, as a, a writing partnership, and... Uh, you know, Sean's a powerful dude. You know, you can't deny Sean. He's, um, you know, he's, he's uh, a very intelligent guy and a great vocalist and has a lot to say, as you well know. So, um, no, man, it's cool. You know, it's just about, again, dude, it's about finding the right team, the right fit. And uh, sometimes that takes a bit of time, but, you know, we got that here. Yeah. Do you think that is the hardest part of putting a band together, maintaining a band, is just finding you know, the right people that are willing to dedicate to that band? Because so many people, they're all in in the beginning, but then, like, you know, they just kind of fade away after a while. They just don't really have the heart, you know, to stick it out for the long run. Mate, I think it is the hardest thing. I've got to know a few people over the years, and I remember um, we were talking to David Stain some time back, you know, when we were on the tour and stuff, and he was just saying his his hardest thing is personnel, and I understand people have their own views on Dave, but but I, I really really care about the guy. I think he's a great human being, and uh, it's it's when bands are looking for members, they're usually looking for cool people first. Who's cool, man? Who can I hang on a bus with for for twenty three hours a day? Um, you know, who's not going to get drunk and vomit all over my gear? Who's you know those basic things before. Many bands are thinking about the greatest guitarist on the planet. Or, or, you know, it's really about who you can spend time with if you're going to be a touring band. And so, uh, personnel is important. And um, you know, dude, hey, I'm not the easiest guy to work with either. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I sort of have a pretty high standard, and um, it's, it's that's just how it goes. Sometimes you just got to, you know, uh, find the right people, find the right team, and and then sort of work on on the ongoing relationship from there. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you're a guitar player, but who's more difficult in a band? Is it the singer or is it a guitar player? They both kind of go hand in oh, hand. Yeah, yeah, look, you know, we're all assholes, I guess. Um, <laughs> look at, the, <laughs> at the end of the day, man, you know, people are people. Um, it, it's it, it's never down to, if you ask people that have worked with me in the past, you know, they'll have their own opinion. Um, I think we're all just people and uh, we all have different 
you know, needs and wants and mixing that up in a, in a five-member band, you know, with families and jobs and lives and kids and it's uh, it's tough. But that's the gig, dude. You know, I'm not complaining either. Um, that's life and uh, you just need to be... I think all you can do, brother, is just be upfront with people from day one and just keep communication clear and that's what I believe uh, keeps a band together is, is everybody, you know, talking. Absolutely. Well, with Night Legion, I mean, I've heard a couple of songs. What's the plan for like an album? I mean, is it already done? Is it going to be done this year? Mate, nine songs are written. Um, they're in advanced demo format and we're circulating that to labels right now. Um, my hope is we secure a partnership with a really good label in the next few weeks that we can announce. Uh, so, yeah, we're hoping to release the album um, probably mid-year. And um, we're already starting to plan, you know, our first show. We're about to announce our first show pretty soon for Sydney. And um, really from there, man, we've, we've been working with an incredible cover artist, a guy called Dusan Markovic. The cover is, dude, I, we, I just need to release this now. Um, it's, it's some of Dusan's best work. He did the last Death Dealer cover. Um, he's an incredible fantasy artist. And uh, I'm real excited to... to get everyone to see the artwork that we got coming on these things. Yeah, um, we've got a really big uh, second, uh, you know, second quarter of the year coming up. Oh, okay. I've seen, I've seen the artwork for the album. I won't say, you know, what it is or anything. The guy is amazing. And so many bands today, they don't seem to put enough effort into the album covers. You remember years ago, that's how you kind of bought a record before the internet when you didn't know who the bands were. If that album cover drew you in, you're like, oh, man, these guys got to be great. Look at that album cover. People have kind of moved away from that now where I guess maybe it's too expensive to get a good artist. I don't know why, but they haven't really put the effort into it. This cover looks great so far. Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers. Look, look it, that's heavy metal. That's part of metal is, is the art, right? Like, why do we love Maiden? You know, there's the music, but there's all the Eddie stuff. And uh, yeah, I think bands really do need to put effort into, you know, that kind of stuff. It's important to me. Um you know, and and I'm a I'm a buyer. You know, like I buy, like buying the vinyl. You know, like I heard you saying before in your show. You know, um, I like buying the shirts, and uh, it's important to me. So yeah, I, I we we took a lot of time with this cover, and I think it's going to match the music. Oh, I agree. And you, you know, like if you look at everything, I mean, last year the Blast of the Static record comes out. I mean, you working with with Jeff Mar. I mean, Clay T also is is playing in Blasted with you and and a Night Legion too. You got Rev Jones in the band. Jeff is such an incredible singer. I mean, one thing I say about you, you've played with some amazing singers over the years. And the Blast of the Static album, I didn't expect that kind of music coming from you. But that's like exactly what kind of Jeff does. But together, it was just incredible. And I would love to be able to see you guys take that out on the road. Well, mate, thanks. Yeah, we actually did two of that on the West Coast um, last year. We, we, we did Nam and... We played the whiskey, um, played some shows up in um, Northern California as well, which was great for us to get over there. But, uh, yeah, a, a lot of fun, that band. And, um, you know, again, that's a nice situation for me to really just come along and play guitar because, um, you know, where I write a lot of the music, and well, I write all the music in Night Legend, um, you know, those other bands, it's kind of nice to just be the guitarist sometimes, just get in there and play, because Jeff's a real prolific writer. Rev's a great writer. Um, so, yeah, mate. Yeah, we'd love to love to tour that. We're going to be doing another album later this year for uh, on, on the cards for sure. Oh, that's going to be great. And the same thing with Death Deal. I mean, you know, Hollow Ground two years ago. 
I, I guess we'll do it for a new one soon, but it, it really must be time consuming when you think about it. I'm just talking about it. I'm like, damn, I can't keep track of all this. <laughs> you know what? I just got to play it and write it. Brother, the, the Death Deal album's written, dude. Like, we got 13 oh. songs um, in the camp. Dude, I'm so excited about that album, too. It's, again, it's different music, you know. It's kind of more uh, it's speed and aggression with Death Dealer, whereas Night Legion, you know, it's real prim- primal fear, um, heads down, power metal, in your face, um, kind of Halloween-y kind of stuff. So uh, it's still aggressive, you know. It's, uh, that's all I really do is aggressive, but... Um, yeah, man, it's cool. You know, I just love writing and playing, and I love being busy, and um, I'm working with great people and professionals. So that's what makes makes it all possible to do all this stuff and it not be too, comp- you know, confusing for people. You can hear this stuff, and you can hear something different each time. So it's for me, it's real simple. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I first heard about that deal of getting started, you know, a few years back, I think it was like 2012. Oh my God, it's already five years. I mean, I was like, this sounds like it could be something really cool. And then it just seems like it took off and exploded out of, I mean, it just like, became huge, like out of nowhere. And I mean, that's always going to be a great thing for a band where people just realize there's something going on and they'll kind of jump to it where, you know, you don't have to like go out there and really try to push it as hard as you should with other bands. But yeah, look, we were very fortunate. Um, you know, we played Moscow. Um, we, we went on an arena tour with um, a thing called Metal All Stars, which was pretty cool with Zach Wilde and a whole bunch of people, you know, it was Max Cavalera and um, so yeah, we did a whole uh, Eastern Bloc Moscow arena run, which was amazing. And the albums, you know, we, we released Warmaster; it got some pretty good reviews. And um, then we, you know, Hollow Ground did pretty good. So we're, we're excited. You know, we need, need to get through to Japan probably for the next year. And um, there's great chemistry, in, you know, in the band. Um, you know, it, for me, working with Ross, um, I'm a huge Manowar fan. Grew up with Ross the Boss, so. Um, not only are we in a band, but we're buddies, which is really great for me. Uh, we're, we're usually roomies when we're touring. So, um, yeah, mate, it's great. Very, very lucky to have that band do what it did. And uh, But, you know, we, we don't fall asleep at the wheel, man. We're, we're writing this third album to, to crush and kill, and uh, that's what it's designed for. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, do, do you find yourself focusing on certain parts of, like, I know you mentioned Japan a lot, and Japan just has die-hard metal fan. I mean, South America does. As, you know, Europe has always been a stronghold. The U.S. is kind of hit or miss. So do you find yourselves really having to concentrate, like, you know, where the fans are instead of, like, just randomly going somewhere where you might not get the draw or the amount of people that you hope for? Well, definitely. I think there's two aspects of it. Obviously, the writing aspect and what we do, we just do it for everybody. I don't care where you are in the world. You know, if you like metal, um, we hope you dig it. But as far as the touring goes, management really handle a lot of that stuff because, um, you know, we, we have to find markets that are, that are not going to cost us 20 grand to go play. So um, it's really just about finding those markets that want the band, that, that are prepared to, to, to take on a touring schedule for the band. So um, management do handle a lot of that kind of strategic global placement of where we tour and stuff, but... Uh, it's from the writing aspect, man. We just we do our thing and hope people like it everywhere. Yeah, does it get like I mean, especially like with Death Deal. I mean, you've got you know five guys who have a lot of things going on musically. I mean, to Mike Davis, Ross the Bush, yourself, Sean, and even Steve. I mean, is that the most? Is that the hardest part? Is trying to get everybody's schedule synced together to put the band out on the road, or do you kind of all have to agree like you know when it's time to go, we have to go? 
Oh, you, you've hit the nail on the head. That's the hardest thing with Death Dealer, and it's probably the thing that's allowed me to do Night Legion uh, is this last year we've had off um, because Sean's been busy with Dana Sherman. Ross has got his new band now, and they're going to be touring right through Europe. Um, so just pulling that together really over the last 12 months has left me some time on my hands, and uh, that's why Night Legion's uh, been born. But, man, it's the same everywhere. I think... Um, you know, a lot of the guys that are sort of over 30 that are doing bands, they've got jobs, kids, family. And so you have to fit that in to everybody's schedule. And, uh, you know, sometimes you need a promise to, <laughs> to yeah. you know, keep all that together. But that's good, man. The flip side, bro, is being busy is good, right? So, you know, if people are touring, um, we, you know, we're all real supportive of that. And uh, Death Deal is always there. You know, we're we're always there as a team um, when everyone's available and and when an opportunity comes up too. You know, like if a great support comes up, then we can move things around to make sure that we can do that. You know, and uh, we're looking at some East Coast stuff for the for the states. Um, Hopefully this year, I've been bugging Sean for ages to book something because I I love that part of the world, so I can't wait to get over it. Yeah, it would be great to have you come over to the New York City area. I mean, I mean, Sudi, is it possible for like, uh, to make it today in music financially where you can just rely on music? I mean, of course, if you're a pop star or a country star, it seems like there's more of a market for that. But for hard rock and heavy metal, can you do this today if you just hit the right strides or have the right success to make eke out a comfortable living, I should say? Well, my first answer is no. There's a full stop at the end of that. Um, yeah. But you, you did you did make a, a very good little point there about you know if you have if you hit your stride and if something happens, um, if you are signed by a bigger label that's prepared to front the funding for you to go and hit the road, uh, perhaps it's possible. Um, I keep looking at bands like Maiden, Priest, um, not so much Metallica as such, but more more sort of your your traditional current true metal and. Uh, you know, I, I kind of think to myself, like, one day these guys are going to be hanging it up and what are we going to be doing? And obviously you've got Sabaton, um, a whole slew of European bands that are successful, Nightwish is still selling out. Um, there's, there's a heap of them. But, you know, man, I think unless you're at that level, um, you'd be lucky to be pulling in 10 to 15 grand in wages a year. And, and I don't know anybody that can live on that. So, no, mate, uh, I, I really can't. I, I'm not associated with a situation where that would be the case. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I, I, I was saying, and then you, know, you was like, you know, Iron Maiden hanging up, Metallica hanging up. I mean, you know, most of those guys are still relatively, you know, young. I guess I say that now because I'm in my fifties, so I, you know, I want to say it's young. But there are bands that are going to start retiring. You know, who knows what's going on with ACDC? Black Sabbath's packed it in. You know, Ozzy's going to do it one day. And I say, where are the next group of bands coming from? I mean, are Megadeth going to move up to headlining, you know, the arenas like Madison Square Garden or the LA Forum? Or, you know what I mean? Where are the next level of bands coming from? If we don't, like, start nurturing them and supporting them and moving them up to the next level. And you're talking about, like, Megadeth with, you know, 30-something years in the business. You know, they should be able to step into that. But I don't see it happening with the business market that we have today. Look, mate, I think the short answer is is that all these bands we talk about were born out of an industry, okay? Uh, from from the, the the 70s and 80s, there was money injected. There was there was million million dollar deals, um, and take nothing away, they're all brilliant bands. I'm a you know massive Megadeth fan. Um, I haven't seen too many bands over the last 10 to 15 years 
shoot through to that level. And I think a lot of that's simply got to do with the fact that there's no labels really funding it. Doesn't mean that there aren't metalheads out there. Your listeners, you know, everyone's buying metal. It's just about knowing about these bands and, and, and then having that financially nurtured by a label. Um, I don't know if labels have that sort of money anymore. So, you know, whatever. Like, part of it, I'm real comfortable with it, though, Mike. Let me tell you, bro. Like, I don't need... As soon as I have to start putting dollars where my metal is and it starts driving my view about the music I'm going to make, well, then I'm, you know... Fuck that. I, I, at the end of the day, brother, um, I'm real happy to be doing what I'm doing, how, how we're doing it, and uh, it's not costing me. You know what I mean? So that's for me. Yeah. That's important. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. A lot of it does have to do with the, you know, with the collapse of the record labels. I mean, as much as bands complained about the labels, like screwing them over in the day, I mean, when if it managed to work out for you, you needed that. It's like with sports today. You know, you have these farm league teams where they nurture the plays, get them ready for the majors, they move them up there. The record industry was the same type of thing, and there's nothing there to support the younger bands anymore, and you really can't do it. Like it says, on your own. You can't get to that level of success without that backing. You know, and a lot of it has to do with people just not buying music anymore because they have this mentality where, you know, it should be free. Everything should be free. Nobody should pay for anything anymore. Everything should be free. It's a horrible way of thinking, but unfortunately, that's the way it is right now. Mate, yeah, and I think, that, you know, that is a great conversation to have. It's something you and I can probably talk over a few hours with, with record deals and how really, you know, they were they were quite poisonous for a lot of bands, but without them, you wouldn't be hearing about these bands in the first place. But, mate, it is what it is. You know, like the, the, the streaming thing, you know, I, I, I use Spotify. Um, I've been a, a big internet proponent for many years. Um, I don't think you should give stuff away for free, but, dude, if people are finding out about my music because they torrented it or whatever, that's great. Come and see the show, buy a T-shirt. You know, metal fans, that's the beauty, right? Metal, metal fans still want shirts and, and cool merch. And that's kind of back to what I was saying before about artwork. If we don't put the time in for the things that people want to buy, well, you know, it's, that's our fault. And so uh, it is what it is, man. You know, we're, we're, I'm a realist. Um, however anybody wants to get my music, is fine to me, um, as long as they're hearing it and, and they like it. I've had people write to me going, man, you know, I really, really like the album. I downloaded it for free. Where can I go? I'm like, dude, just chuck two bucks through on PayPal. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if that's the way to support the artist is to give them the money direct, even if it's $2, because 500 people do that, it's cash in pocket. So whatever it takes, man, but uh, metal's still going. Absolutely, and it always will. As long as you have guys like you out there writing it for us, we're going to keep buying it. And Stu, I'm not going to keep you, man. I do appreciate you talking with us today. I'm going to get on some Night Legion next. You know, people are going to hear this for the first time, a lot of people, and you did a great job on this record. I can't wait for the whole thing to come out. Brother, thanks again, Mike. And, uh, yeah, for all your listeners, anybody out there interested, um, you can find us on Facebook. It's Night Legion Metal. Uh, we've got samples up. We've got a little bit of uh, promotional video available there. Drop by, say g'day. And we're going to have some special uh, limited edition merch packs we're releasing really for the launch. We've got some killer T-shirts. We're uh, only releasing 100 of these packs. So, yeah, that's going to go up real soon. And, uh, mate, thank you very much again. Anytime, Stu. The best of luck with the band. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, brother. Thanks, man. All right, let's get on some brand-new Night Legion for everybody. Here's Enter the Storm. 
Death Dealer with Plan of Attack. Sean Peck definitely can sing his ass off. I tell you, the new uh, Dennis Sherman album is really, really good. And uh, I hope that they do tour here in the USA. Uh, I know uh, Sue just said he was getting ready for a tour with them, but it'll probably be over in Europe like everything else good. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe we will get lucky and get them here in the U.S., especially on the East Coast. All right, we have the Defenders of All Festival coming up this uh, June. Uh, quite a few of the bands were announced, but not all of them. And I don't want to mention the rest of the bands until the promoter gets a chance to do so. I don't know why he's like slowly rolling out all the bands. I guess he wants to keep the momentum going uh, with the festival. But me personally, if I'm going to buy an expensive ticket for a festival, I want to know all the bands that are playing that night before I buy the ticket, not just one band. I mean, when he had the one two years ago, I went for the whole weekend. I don't have that kind of stamina anymore. I won't be able to go for the two nights. It's actually three, I think, this year. Or maybe it's two nights and an after show. I'm not even positive yet, but... I'm probably just going to make it to one night. I haven't decided which one I want to go to. I, I feel like I should be at the Saturday night show because Sirius Ungul is playing. But I really want to see Nancy Savage and Bitch who are playing on Friday night. So it's a great gimmick to get people to come to both nights by splitting up the bands. But I'm just getting too old to drive that far into Brooklyn, fight with people over parking spaces, and then have to stand up for six hours. So I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll figure it out before the show comes around. All right, we're going to get this interview with David Rison in about 15 minutes. We'll play a couple more tunes between now and then. I saw you mind talking about uh, James Rivera in the in the chat room before. And I was bouncing around Facebook earlier today, and uh, somebody was posing with James Rivera, and I didn't even recognize him for some reason. You know, without the cape on <laughs> and the teeth, uh, you know, I went really quick to it, and he looked like a little old grandma. He had the glasses on. I didn't even know it was a guy. And I'm looking, I had to go back and I said, wait a minute, that's James Rivera. And then the more I'm looking at him, I'm like, you know what? He's starting to look like the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And so if anybody's seen a picture of him, like, you know, off stage, take a look at it. He looks just like the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And then I go to Blavimap, and there's a picture of Blaze Bailey, who looks like Grandpa from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So maybe we need to get a heavy metal version of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang going and film it. We've got two of the characters already. I mean, take a look at these two, and if I'm lying, tell me, because they look just like those two characters from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. One of my favorite moves, I have to say. All right, let's keep the music flowing here. Let me see. How about we do a little uh, Aaron's Rod, Never Cry Wolf.
All right, Sad Eye with Day of Doom. I tell you what, let's get into a, a Saint and Sinner song, David Reese's brand new band. And then, uh, like I said, I spoke to David the other day. We'll get that interview on right after the tune. So, how about we do Night of the Long Knives? I love David's voice, man. He's such a great singer. It's good to have him. Not that he haven't went anywhere, but it's good to have him back in another band. <laughs>
David, man. And not that you've gone anywhere, because when you look back at you know your recorded history, there are tons and tons of records. But this new band, I mean, you went right back to the roots of rock and roll with this band. Thank you, brother. I feel it too. It's it's yeah. getting great reviews, lots of press, a lot of radio. It's been mm-hmm. great, man. Oh, absolutely. You know what it is? There's nothing else like this going on. Very few bands, I should say, playing music like this today. I mean, it's like the heart and soul of rock and roll. I mean, you've touched back on everything you've kind of done in your past, you know, and kind yeah. of mixed it all together with, like, with the history of, of you know, hard rock. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's got a little Bangalore choir, I think, with the background harmonies. Um, but it's definitely got, you know, the Bad Company and White Snake and Rainbow vibe. But that's where I cut my teeth, you know. I think my first album was... Uh, Machine Head by Deep Purple, with, and the second one that day was Alice Cooper, uh, School's Out. So, I mean, that's where I started buying records, you know? And, yeah. And uh, we touched a nerve, I think, with this one. It's great. Uh, I think so. I mean, you know, a year or so ago, it was all about Bonfire. Did this sort of come out of the ashes of that? Because you got Frank on guitar. I mean, it was. I yep. guess it all kind of went back to Easy Living, which morphed back into Bonfire and, you know, is this from the ashes of Bonfire, you know? Yeah, I mean, Frank's still playing with him. Um, you know, I'll give you one little history of that. You got a minute or? I got more than a minute for you. All right, brother. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, I did an album with Easy Living, of course. Then I'd, uh, then Hans bought the name from Klaus, Bonfire. And I guess the smart thing in his mind to do was to take Ronnie and I from Easy Living and just move it morph it into a bonfire because we've been on the road 2014. I think we did like 40 shows that year. And of course we all agreed because they were, you know, they were going to give us a whole lot of more touring and I wanted to tour. So we did glorious. And uh, I think we hit number three in Europe. I mean, the album sold amazing. I mean, it did really well. Uh, It took about, you know, three months for the fans to kind of warm into that. I was the guy. A lot of them didn't, but, um, did that tour in 2015, did a ton of shows, over 100 gigs. And then uh, Hans wanted to do the, the Tales and Pearl thing, the remake of all the songs that basically nobody really knew. And uh, we did a double album there, and things had started to get weird between Hans and I, the communication, and um, it basically just came to a stop. We weren't speaking to each other and had a lot to do with his choice of management and the direction of the band. So. We ended up playing uh, the last gig, July of 2016 in Cluzone, Italy. And I had planned to leave the band in December of 2016. I'd had enough. And shockingly, I was told five minutes before I went on, it was my last gig. So I made it real clear that that was my last gig. And a lot of fans were booing and cheering me on and blah, blah, blah. Ugly night. Long story short, went home the next morning. I live in northern Italy now. And I sat here thinking, now what the crap am I going to do? And about three days later, Frank called me and said, hey, I don't like the way this ended. I need to see you. I'll be in Italy with my wife. She's working. May I come and see you? Yeah, the door's open because I always liked Frank. Uh, Frank's always, he's a very calm kind of guy. He's just a guitar player that is nuts about guitars. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he came in and he said, hey, I was in a band. He was fired or whatever you want to call it from Perpendicular, his Deep Purple thing, um, and had written a whole record of music for that. And after we, you know, 
broke bread and, and, you know, he basically said he didn't like how it ended and wanted to keep continuing working with me. He said, can I play you some of these songs? Played me one song, which morphed into the song that's called Truth is a Lie. We literally finished it in about 10 minutes at my kitchen table. Well, you know, on a laptop. Yeah. Uh, And then he started playing me more tracks and I went, hey, just give me all those songs and when you go home, I'll start sending you iPhone stuff, the ideas. And Dude, it just jumped out at me. It was written so well musically. He's, I, I'm, I'm blessed to have him in my life. He, he and I have got a really cool bond. I mean, we, we admire each other. We are honest with each other. Um, it's just no drama, and, and I love it. I mean, it, it's odd that he's still in Bonfire, so we have to kind of move our schedules around to some of his shows, to our shows. But uh, other than that, it, it, it's really the, the album just... I don't know, man. It was one of those records that every song that I sent him that I sang, he said, great. I don't have anything to complain about. Next, next, <laughs> next. It was amazing. It was really, really amazing. Very organic, I guess is the word. That is a great thing when you could get that kind of relationship going with somebody, and, and especially with music writing. And, you know, when you think about it, like you were saying, you know, a lot of drama in bands, you would think that like at our age now and after all the decades that everybody's been involved in doing this, that things would be easier today. It would be more fun and more organic where you're enjoying it, not bogged down. You know what it is for me, man? If you're going to work, it's like being married. You know, you know what it's like in bands. You know, tell me the truth. Just be honest. I mean, you can't have – I mean, you're a hired guy in Bonfire, number one. So really what you say doesn't matter. And, I, and I'm a leader, dude. I, I have to be heard what I have to say. And basically I was told, you know, put up or shut up. And I got tired of it, you know. Yeah. So with this thing, Frank and I are partners on it, and, it, and it's our band. Nothing is decided without the others, you know, compliance or, or disagreeing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But when you think about it, I mean – is being in a band really all it's cracked up to be a worth it, or are you better off just going solo? I mean, you put out some great solo records over the years. Uh, to be, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say, isn't it better where you know you're the commander in chief of the ship and you guide it the way you want it to go with people working for you than have to deal with other personalities? Uh, I tried it, bro, and I and I got a pretty strong fan base. But I got to tell you, when you're in a band. It seems to be far more appealing commercially uh, and business-wise. I know you can play solo shows around Europe, where I'm at, um, do 50 to 100 people consistently. But when you have a band of some known cats and it's working and the album's working, you know, you're going to triple you know, or quadruple that. And I, I, to be honest, I, I, as a solo artist, I'm not strong enough. Now, if I veered off into a Michael Bolton vibe or something, maybe – you know, but that's not really me. Maybe that would change things, but I'm stronger in a band. But the problem is, is, you know, you get a lot of kooks that you work with and drama and everything starts out like it did with Bonfire, you know, really cool. And then it got really ugly. And we've made an agreement that we're not going to let it get that way. So being in a band is what I want to do because I'm, I'm only as strong as my weakest guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been blessed in my life, dude, to have some great guitar players in my life. Uh, you know, Andy Seuss, Emil, Kurt Mitchell, Frank, um, and a Wolf Hoffman, another monster. I, I've been really lucky and they make me better, you know, so I need that. You know what I mean? 
Absolutely. Well, I know you're over in Europe tonight, and Europe does seem to be the place to be. I mean, for music, you know, at least hard rock and, and the heavy metal genre more than anything else. Uh, I mean, you're here from the U.S. You've seen the difference between the two sides of the world. I mean, it's like night and day sometimes. Well, it's funny. This album, <laughs> we were number four posted yesterday in the metal charts in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, nice. And I'm talking to U.S. agents right now about the U.S. and Canada. They're talking about throwing about 10 to 14 shows at us at the end of June. So, you know, that's great. If that comes into fruition, fantastic. But getting back to what you said about Europe, yeah, it's better, but it's really hard because the problem is everybody's coming here to tour because they've heard it's really good. I just got bumped from a Czech Republic gig that I had booked I don't know, six months ago, because that country is kind of like uh, Rhode Island. You know what I mean? You uh, you can drive anywhere in two hours. Well, Glenn Hughes and Marco Mendoza and I, our Santa Santa's, were all playing the same night. So the promoter said, hey, would you mind moving it into the fall? Because nobody's going to come. You know what I mean? They're all going to kind of spread out. So the promoters are saying, well, let's just focus on Glenn Hughes. And even that show was like 120 people. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So if the three of us had played that night, maybe there'd have been 20 or 30 people for each gig. You know? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Well, you know, I, I think St. Descendants has a, a better chance here in the U.S. because of the sound of the band. I and mean, even though Bonfly was around for decades, you know, here in the U.S., they weren't as well known as over in Europe, unless you're like a diehard fan of the group. And, you know, so it, it, that, that, you kind of have that going on too right now. But, like, you know, you have Bangalore Choir going, Gypsy Rose, so many great bands that just, like, seem to fall apart after a few records. And I, and I know Bangalore Choir is probably a, a done deal right now. Maybe one day get resurrected. But does it bother you when you have to put something like that down because of personalities or band issues because the music was really there? Uh, Kurt Mitchell and I... I got to tell you, we we wrote monster songs together. He's an amazing talent. The guy can play anything. Great singer, too. We did some uh, reunion shows. You know, we did Fire Fest in 2010. Uh, and we were going to play this year at the Rock and Skull Festival, but uh, we got bumped over political issues. Not only is the, the economy and the clubs getting bad, even the promoters are, are dickering like a, a, a bad band drama. I found out through the fans that we were kicked off the bill and, you know, I didn't do it. He did it kind of thing went back and forth. And I had spent weeks getting the guys to agree to it. We were actually going to go, you know, play the full on target album for the fans. And a lot of people said, I'm not going now because you're not playing. So I miss that. But the other things that you mentioned, those bands were, were projects and I'm sick to death of making internet albums. Uh, you know, that kept me viable. Uh, some of the records are really good. Don't get me wrong, but everybody and their brother, dude, is making an album in their bedroom right now. Three, four a month. You know, True. so-and-so is in this band. <laughs> Excuse me. And he's in four or five other bands and they're, and they're out the same month <clears throat> with all their releases and their, so their face is in four bands. And the fans, I think, are tired of it too. I just did an interview with that and the guy said, you know, I'm sick of it. Please tell me. Saint It Sinners is a real band. It is. I'm not, I will continue. I'm writing a solo album right now and, I, and I'm done with it. I wrote it with uh, Christian Tola on guitar and I wrote some more with Andy Susamil and uh, Mario Percadani. We have kind of a blues hard rock thing called RPG that we go over to Switzerland and Czech Republic and people go nuts. It's great. We, we really go way back. 
kind of thing. You know, it's not your AOR typical kind of thing, but he and I've written a, a monster bunch of tunes together. So I will do that. Um, I'm going to re I'm going to try to re-release my entire back catalog uh, as well. I mean, there's like 25 albums, I think. And I'm talking to my label, El Puerto about just, you know, offering that to the fans as you know, like a one-off thing. You know what I mean? It's a whole Reese milestone history. You know what I mean? That would be fantastic to put that together in some kind of set. I, I would love to see that take place. But, but, you know, you're talking about projects. I agree with you. I find it hard myself to get behind a band who's like a one-off album project because, you know, you dedicate your time to it. You want to hear more and see. Then you don't know where it's going to go after that album comes out. And it's not the same feeling as when you have a band that you can get behind. You know, and that's the way it's you know been what? in the history of music. Yeah, I mean, that that's where it is now. And that's the reason I decided to work with Hans Zillard. I mean, with Easy Living, I was sitting on my ass at home and working my uh, painting company, ranching, doing my Montana thing. The phone rings, and it's him. And I knew him from when I was in Accept. We had met because Bonfire were recording next door to us in that studio, Dirk's Studios, Peter Dirk's place. And I had seen them with on the Judas Priest tour, and that was their heyday. They were huge. Um, they had a gold record with uh, Don't Touch the Light or whatever it was, fireworks, excuse me. And uh, then I ran into him again at Firefest in 2010, and he said, we need to do an album together. Well, you know, you always hear that. Sure, give me a call, give me an email. Well, he actually contacted me and, and said, you know, you want to do this album, send me the tracks. I said, okay. I go, this is what it costs. And I finished it. He said, great. Do you want a tour? And I said, stop. Don't say you're going to book shows and never call me back. Well, amazingly, like a week later, he, he had 10 shows confirmed. So I was on a plane to Germany and we went out and played. And then I went home for a few weeks, went back for three weeks. I mean, so we actually were touring. And it was kind of an organic thing with Paul Morris from Rainbow on keyboards. And it was a lot of fun. So, you know, touring, you have to tour a record. I mean, I agree. It, this, The way it is, is like I said, I mean, you can't just say, hey, we're doing an album and we're a band. And then, you know, the album comes out and two weeks later, nobody's talking about it. You know, I'm a, I'm fervent about pushing this thing. I want this thing to last, you know, and we signed a multiple album deal. That was the condition I said I would do with this label. And they gladly reached over the table and said, yeah, multi-album deal. Let's do it. Great. I mean, you know, it definitely is a different business. I mean, you know, in the, in the music business, and it's a different world today than it was in the 70s and 80s. I mean, everybody knows yeah. that and has come to accept it. But there was a time when a band put out a record, they toured for a year and a half, they wrote a record, they put a new record out, and that was the cycle that went on and on. Today, it seems yeah. like the fans or the people have such a short attention span that, you know, it comes out on a Monday. By Tuesday, when's your new record coming out? It's like they forget about it within 24 hours. And I don't get the you mentality You know, I think it's forgettable, that. too. A lot of it's forgettable because it's simply crap. True. I mean, it's like, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, every album that I hear is the same album, you know, the same guys producing it that got the same plugins, the same system, you know, the same drum sound, the same chorus. I mean, it gets, it's kind of like when, you know, Grunge murdered us, you know, Bangalore Choir. I mean, partly to blame was us and the labels. Every band with a blonde lead singer. And a whoa, whoa chorus, you know, was coming out from 85 to, what, 90. And I think the fans just went, you know what, enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And guys, I mean, the bands, and other bands don't market themselves. I mean, you know, and, and then we're getting older, too. 
I mean, there's a lot of factors involved in this. I mean, I've had promoters tell me, hey, I'm having a hard time filling the room. We're going to move it to a dinner theater because the fans are starting, average age was 40 years old. They can't stand up for four hours with two bands and us. But they have to have seating. (laughs) (laughs) It's unbelievable. Promoters are going, it's everything. I can't, I can't, I'd love to come, but, you know, standing on concrete floor for that long kills me. I, you know, I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) you know it's funny but it's not funny in the same sense it's it's the truth yeah it is and and that's a sad thing and and when i think about it you know i go back like bands in the beginning like you know the struggle i think is what made the bands as solid as they were struggling to you know to get recognized to get your name out there uh you know to get signed to a major label and like it says today it's so easy because everybody can record everything in the living room with the computer that they don't know the struggle. And the struggle, I think, is what makes the bands what they are. I mean, even though everybody would love to hit it big on that first hit song and make a million bucks, I think the struggle part of it has a lot to do with the integrity of a band. And the label. And the I label, mean, yeah. Labels are just as much to blame, I believe. They, you know, they, they set a quota for the year every month and, uh, you know, two of the same albums every two weeks. And uh, the same album covers... You know, the eagle flying over the volcano or swords or whatever they do. (laughs) I mean, come on. I mean, that's what I love about Saving Sinners. I mean, yeah, some people go, oh, you got the name from the White Snake album. Well, that was Frank's idea. I said, okay, we'll go with it, you know, but it it had nothing to do with that album. But I mean, obviously, they're influences of ours. And I'm, I'm happy to admit it. I mean, you know, a lot of record companies when I was in the big game, you know, well, we need this song and we need, you need Desmond Child to walk in. And he wanted to write three words on a record and he wanted to charge me, you know, 55% just because he sat across the room with a guitar in the couch, you know? So, I mean, I think that was, you know, multiplied part of the, the death of music too. Um, Diane Warren was on every hit record. Marty Caldner produced every MTV video there for two or three years, you know, uh, People just got tired of it, I think, and, I, and I'm tired of it. I, 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 you know, my favorite singer is Paul Rogers. Yeah. You know, and I went to see Paul Rogers at a casino in Minnesota. Stood in the front row and was on my feet through the whole show. About a week later, Whitesnake came through, and after four songs, I left. I mean, night and day. It was a real solid, hard rock, emotional night with Paul Rogers, and then. Kind of got to say, Whitesnake, we're doing a paint-by-numbers kind of set, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was just, you know, I don't know. It's crazy. Well, you know, you, you come from the Midwest area of the USA. I mean, how was it back then, you know, like, trying to start a band and form a band? Because, you know, the scene really was Los Angeles and, and even New York City to a to a point. Was it more difficult in the middle of the country? Because this is pre-internet no. days where you couldn't, you know, just click a button and get everybody to know who you were. No, I was in a band called, I had a few other little club bands when I was a young, young teenager. But when I was 17, I joined a group called Dare Force. And they had a singer named Zeno, who was the original singer for Cheap Trick. And uh, it wasn't working out. Rick Nielsen, you know, fired him. And so they found Robin Zander in one of these, like, they, I don't know, are you, you remember those places called Ground Round where you could eat peanuts and throw the shells I, on the floor? I sure do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I used to love going there because I could throw my trash on the floor and drink beer and watch a cool <laughs> band. But uh, Robin Zander was doing Beatles stuff, and Rick Nielsen just lost his mind. I mean, what a find, right? So anyway, Zeno t- was in the band that I joined. They fired Zeno and hired me. 
But we literally would play seven days a week, four to five hours a night. We'd use t- well, yeah, you typically started like Tuesday and played through Sunday. Um, a lot of the clubs you played, you know, Wednesday through Saturday, and then you picked up a Sunday or whatever. But we toured constantly in the Midwest, you know, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin. Then we'd go to Canada and go from east to west, west to east for six weeks. I mean, we were never home. We'd easily do 300 shows a year. And you made $100 a week playing cover songs and trying to write your own material. It was, it was insane. You could play a club. If you played it like, um, let's say, you played 9 until 11. Clubs closed at like 1 o'clock in those days. You could finish at 11, jump off the stage, jump in a car, and go down the street to another club, and it would be packed too. Stay there for 20 minutes and then close another bar, and it would be packed. I mean, every night. It was amazing. They, they were great times. When you, said, you know, the first yeah. time I came across David, I think it was Sacred Child. I think I had a demo ah. tape back in the early 80s. This was like a tape trader back then. I remember getting a demo tape of the band back in the day. I, I think it was Sacred Child. Was, was that the name of the band? Yeah, that was – I had gone to L.A. on one of my mini you – know, what do they call those? My walkabouts trying to get signed. And I ran into the guy named Chuck Rosa, who was an engineer and the guitarist for that band. Um, and he had free studio time, and I was singing. And he said, man, you're great. You want to be in my band. So I ended up living at the bass player's house, and nothing ever really happened. It was one of those kooky things that he was in charge of. And I don't really remember how it ended, but I split and went back to Colorado or something. But then I got the call from Accept. And, of course, what does he do as soon as he accepts album out? He he presses that those demos and he sells them to exploit, you know, that I was working with him and that's where everybody was buying it from because they knew that I was in accept. Yeah. But I actually was just asked about that yesterday. It's funny you brought that up again. I, then they I got remember, Neil Young's sister. Yeah. Astrid I, Young's sister. Yeah, I remember that when I got the right <laughs> shoes, I was like, What the hell was that? But you know Yeah, I, it was weird, huh? Really weird. You talk about that. You talk about going to accept from there. I mean, you've stepped into bands where you've had to take over from singers that were really iconic for those bands. Not in the past, but I got to tell you, I'm probably half of the 50% that loved Eat the Heat and thought it was a great record. I mean, it's not easy to replace any singer in any band. You guys are the focal point of every group, no matter what people say about guitar players. It's always a singer to me. But, but that well, was... But here, I'll, I'll tell you the story about that, that record. When I'm about halfway done with Eat the Heat, Dieter Dirks, the producer, stopped. He put the mute button on or something, and he swung the chair around, and he looked at me. He said, you know what? You realize if this album flops, it's your fault and my fault. I said, it'll never flop. You know, I'm David Reese, and you're Dieter Dirks. He goes, no, it's a full-contact sport. You're replacing Udo Dirkschneider, you know, and I pretty much am producing the album in a polished more version than what they really are. They have a, a, a frothing-at-the-mouth fan base. This is going to shock people. And it just, you know what? He could not have been more correct. I mean, uh, six months after the release, they either hated me or they loved me. But the good thing is, is it opened all the doors and allows me to speak to people like you. Well, you, you know, that, that's what happens anytime a band replaces a singer. You know, there's just, just the one way. They're not willing to accept something else sometimes. And you talk in the 80s when you're like, metal was still king back then. And it was even harder. Today, I mean, you have yeah. bands that come out with just the original drummer and four new members, yeah. and people go crazy for them. Like, I don't even know who these guys are. <laughs> just, Riot. Look at Riot. 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 Nobody, nobody. Nobody's in the yeah. band, the original band, from the original lineup, or even the classic lineup. 
but people yeah. just go crazy for them. I mean, they're selling out clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we were talking about doing some gigs with them in the U.S. I mean, um, a friend of mine was booking some of their shows in Europe. They can't get arrested in Germany, but they go to the East Coast and they sell out. <laughs> it's amazing. You know what I yeah. think because we're getting older now, and you know we want to get as much of this music in as we can while everybody's still doing it. I mean, that's how I feel. I just want to enjoy what time I got left with the music I love. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, thank God I'm standing above ground today, and you know we're talking about a new album, and and you like it, and and uh, it's a blessing. I mean, who knows how long we've got? You know, I mean, look how many we've lost in the last couple of years. I mean, it's amazing. It's so true. You know, David, like we were talking about the business end of it before. It seems like so many artists and bands have just come resigned to the fact that, well, you know, we can't make money doing this anymore, so we're doing it because we love it. But to me, that just doesn't seem right, and it shouldn't be true. I mean, is there anything that <clears throat> bands can do to start taking back control where they're getting paid for live shows, they're getting paid to make music like they used to? Yeah, there's one real big thing. Stop playing for free. There you go. Don't believe the club owners... <laughs> The club owners here, there, everywhere. Well, I can get so-and-so for the door. Well, the reason they can do that is because these dumbasses are saying, oh, we just want to play so bad. We'll do it for the, the door. And we have a rich girlfriend or her dad is rich, and he's going to finance and get us a nightliner, and, and we'll stay in our own hotels. And the club owners go, yeah, no problem. Come to the door. And they'll play for 50 people, uh, and every really great club, pretty much has killed itself by doing that too, because, you know, the quality bands, they're going to charge you because they have an overhead and, you know, you have to, if you're going to do this full time, it's a job. You would not do what you do as a job for free. Hell no. The problem is they're so desperate to be, I guess, recognized still and valid that if you're good, you're already recognized. So I would suggest you guys stop it. These bands Come over here, and uh, I mean, in Milan, it's amazing. I don't think anybody but me, Eric Martin, and a few others, Jeff Scott Soto, actually get paid to play an hour from my house. You know what I mean? Yeah. The guy says, yeah, we'd love to have you, but, you know, we're, you know, uh, what's your price? And I tell him, oh, we can't do that. We, you know, uh, you'd have to do it for the door. I said, thanks. Have a nice day. Nice talking. And two days later, they're calling you. go, well, you know, what about this? And they're always trying to say, well, we'll pay you, but we're not going to give you rooms. So if they pay you, all that money goes to a hotel room and your gas, and, and we're kind of spread out. We've got some Germans and a Hungarian and me in Italy. So, I mean, there is overhead. It's a business. Treat it like a business. It's not – I mean, music is art, yeah, but it's also a business. If you're going to make albums, you're in a friggin' business. Oh, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, I say it all the time. I'm like, I'll tell somebody, did you get the, you know, did you get the new Saint the Sinners record? Nah, nah, nah. Then they're going to Starbucks and spend ten dollars on a cup of coffee. I'm like, that album is yeah. less than ten dollars, even if you bought it online. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. are you doing? They I mean, the album's, last, the album's gonna last you forever. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, anybody who stands in line for a cup of coffee for ten dollars, I mean, every day, and tells me they can't buy a ticket once a month to support a live band or a CD, I, I don't get it. Uh, where are your priorities? You know, the problem is, too, is the Internet's murdered us, and they can just go online and download it for free. And they can set it home with their six-pack and watch the show that night live. They can stream it live, and it's got great sound. You know, uh, it's murdered us. I know. I, I don't know. I don't know how we can reverse it or change it. I mean, it seems to be a generational thing because, you know, if you think about it, when we were younger, a friend would buy a record. We'd put it on cassette to hear the album. We still went out and bought that record. We didn't just take the cassette and say, I got it. We went and bought that record. Today, it's like, you know, 
I'll download one song for 99 cents. I won't even bother with the rest of the record. Yeah. How many guys can store in there? What do they call them? Uh, they're those little deals. I can't even remember the iPads or iPhones. Whatever. They can make, they can download a thousand albums. I don't have enough time in a year to listen to a thousand albums. <laughs> I mean, it's like hoarding, you know, it's like, we should do a, 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 a TV series about that. All these music guys that download every band for free and they, they, I've got 8 million songs. And the other guy says, well, I've got 82,000, you know, singles from this guy and blah, 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 from different countries. It's not even about listening to the songs. It's about just hoarding it. True. That's true. <laughs> the only thing I'm happy about is that over the last, you know, seven or eight years, vinyl is making a comeback. I mean, it's not going to yeah. be where record stores are opening up again, but for like an old school person like me, I love buying and having it. The record, is it going to oh, be on yeah. vinyl? Yeah, I love holding it with the edges of my hands so I don't put my greasy fingers on the tracks. And You know <laughs> what I mean? I like looking at the artwork and reading the liner notes and going, wow, I can actually see what the artwork is. Unless, you know, on a CD, I have to put on my trifocals to even get the artwork idea. Back in the day, I mean, you had that big shelf in your room it was like always on the verge of collapsing remember because it was so heavy with vinyl <laughs> and sometimes it did if you just moved that brick a little too far the whole thing would come crashing down you know that, that was oh <laughs> snap crackle pop when you put the needle down oh, i love that uh is the, is the new album going to be released on vinyl is it something you're thinking yep. about oh great uh, uh, they they punched out a, a ton of pre-sales right now and they're going to do a limited vinyl edition a real 180 grain you know normal standard weight uh, LP, which I'm stoked about. I mean, I, I've got a few LPs of Bonfire, and they're great because, you know, if they, they issue like a 1,000 copies, they're gone. Like you said, there's a resurgence in the vinyl. And a lot of the fans will show up carrying a backpack full of the vinyls, you know, um, to have you sign and, and talk about it. And it's really cool. It's I, I love seeing that. It's a great thing. Hey, well, David, I'm not going to keep you. I know it's getting late over there. When's the, record, get ready? Oh, When's the record getting ready to drop officially? February 24th. Our first video, We're All Sainted Sinners, is on YouTube right now. Uh, our second video is for the track, Maybe She's Got Balls. That's going to come out the same day. Yeah. And Maybe She's Got Balls. It's like one of those things where you go out to a weird club and you realize the chick you're with may not be a chick. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek, heavy groove thing. I love it. It's a new video. It's coming out the same day as the album. Um, we're on tour. Uh, we start again the 24th in Germany of February, and we play the full weekend, three or four shows. Then we go to Austria, Bulgaria, uh, Switzerland. And like I said, um, he's going out with Bonfire, I think, in April, because they've got an album coming out in March. Um, and then in June, you know, if the stars line up, I've given them 97% okay. We're going to do the Southeast. We'll do New York. We're going to do Canada, Boston, uh, Philly. So if that happens, you and I got to get together, right? We are definitely getting together when you come to New York City. That's one of the only good things about living in New York is that a lot of bands do make this a stopover when they come here to play. So nice. I'm hoping that happens. And we will hook up, David. The first beer is on me. Okay. When are you going to add it? I'll get the second. When, when is this going to go? When are you going to air this? Uh, sun, uh, Sunday night. The show is live on Sunday Great. night. Gonna put on Send Sunday me a link night. and I'll post it all over the place. I absolutely will, buddy. The best of luck with this band, man. I'm so happy for you. I'm happy for you, too. Thank you for your support and thank you to everybody that's listening. Come see St. Sinners, man. Ciao. Take care, David.
another new track off the brand new Santa Sinners record. We were all Santa Sinners. David Reese hit a home run with this album. Pick it up when it comes out. Nice job, guys. All right, we're down to the last 10 minutes of the show. Enough time to put one or two more songs on before we wrap it up. Let me see who we have on the program next Sunday night. It's the first week of March already. I can't believe it. I love March because, you know, I mean, we've had a great, actually, we've really had a great week here in New York weather-wise. Today was the first chilly day uh, we've had in about 10 days, and it's really not that bad. It's like in the mid-40s, and it's just that as I'm getting old, even that's starting to feel really cold to me. But we did have like 60, 70-degree weather for most of the week, and I believe the rest of this week coming up is going to be nice too. But I always look at March as like, you know, a little cold in the beginning, but by the end, we're starting to warm up really nice. The spring is here. I just hate the winter these days. All right, let me see. We have George Lynch on the show next week from Dokken. He has his new band KXM going on right now with Doug Pinnock. Uh, he's also a part of that group. Uh, we'll talk to George next week. And Marta Gabriel from Crystal Viper. So we've got a great show for everybody to kick off the month of March. Stick around. It's going to be a great month. All right, how about we do some Rapid Tears, Eve of Rock.
That was White Tiger with Stand and Deliver. I really like that album. Uh, it was the only album the band put out. Uh, it featured Mark St. John on guitar, who was for a brief period of time in Kiss. Uh, I think it was right, I want to say it was right after Vinnie Vincent, I believe, he joined the group. Eh, I'm not too sure, but it was a really good album when it came out at the time. All right, I want to thank Stu Marshall and David Reese for being a part of the show tonight. Thank you guys very much. Don't forget to tune in next Sunday night. Marta Gabriel from Crystal Viper and George Lynch from Dokken and KXM, Lynch Mob, and uh, half a dozen other bands and projects. It'll be a great way to kick off the month of March. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, like always. I will see you next week. heavy metal anywhere blogtalkradio.com and heavy metal mayhem